Hello, and welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I am your hostess and the creator of the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast network, which is a network dedicated to effective exercise. We offer three shows on one feed that are the intersection of exercise mechanics, human movement science, and critical thinking. Today's episode is a solo cast with yours truly on core myths, and I will also be sharing some vital network updates so that you can get the most out of this channel and its incredible content. And I'm truly proud of this content, so I'm really dedicated to helping you get the most out of it. And, you know, the fact that I'm I've been able to surround myself with an incredible network of people. I'm also so proud of the fact that they are all on this feed and that this network of people, they have helped me shape my health um, and my vision for self-improvement, which is one of the things I really wanted to do, um, wanted to share with, with the audience and the reason I started this podcast, right? So having the intellectual foundations and sharing the things and the lessons and the tools that gave me the powerful insights about fitness and exercise is uh, a beautiful thing to, it's just such a beautiful thing to be able to share that and then, you know, help you along the way, become more skillful in the way that you apply exercise and make it that powerful tool that I, that I know it is right. Um, so welcome and thank you so much for being here. And in the this short episode, you'll get a ton of value if uh, you are just really curious about what core strength is and why, um, you know, why you can do endless core exercises and not get a whole lot out of it. Uh, some of the stuff that I explain here will um, bring some light to that curiosity. It would also be valuable for someone who has exercised a lot and has not had great results with the typical way of doing core exercises. I have this great client who I do a lot of muscle activation techniques RX with, and he was a basketball player. He's very tall, he's 6'10", and he's had back surgery and, you know, um, has had a lot, he had a lot of pain, had a lot of issues with exercise and not being able to recover from exercise or golf. And one of the things that he thanked me for within our first five sessions, he said, wow, I haven't done any of the typical core exercises that I've been told to do for years. And I am so much stronger now. And I did this is also the result of replacing some of his uh, typical core exercises with some more aligned ones to what is actually going on with the core and how it functions and how we can recondition it. And I thought that was, uh, I just wanted to share that. I'm really proud of him and the work we've done together. But the important message here is like a frame around a pitcher, when we change that frame, the whole pitcher changes. It looks different. And that means that reframing is a powerful internal shift for any of our health-seeking behaviors like exercise. The lens that we see 
fitness and health is important because any of our perspectives can hold us back or move us forward. So that's busting these myths about core strength and, and moving our spine need to be dealt with. We need to open our mind so that we can have the perspective that is going to help us move forward and not hold us back. So I'm, yeah, like I said, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, make sure you check out our newsletter so you don't miss these shows. Uh, you can say hello to us at hello at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com or just sign up for the newsletter, which you will get messages from me a couple times a month on what's going on and why we might uh, need to revisit some of this information. And when we're going live on Instagram, when we're in season, we are trying to go live once a week on my Instagram feed at Jennifer underscore Simone underscore Schwartz. I hope to see you there and enjoy this episode. Let's get into these myths about training the core of our body. There are so many. And because I'm only sharing six today, I'm also sharing this uh, new framework that will help all of us figure out if um, what we're hearing from a trainer, from an Instagram channel, from a YouTube channel, if that message is just blabbering and can actually help us and has some good information in it, or if it's they're poised to sell something or sell themselves, really. So very exciting day here at Think Fit, Be Fit. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for being here. <laughs> so the fit fitness as the majority of us culturally understand it, it just seems like a long list of buzzwords coupled with a shiny abdominal workout. Wow. Like every single influencer workout has to have some abs at the beginning or the end, right? Usually the end. I don't know why. The main point here is that there's no substance and sustenance in this long list of ab exercise. And that's the framework that I'm going to use to discuss these core training myths, substance and sustenance. So fitness, you know, it's been oversimplified for too long. And I'm, I'm putting my foot down right here with my microphone and to say that it is my belief that this simple view of exercise has created a lot of huge missed opportunities and has created an opportunity cost that we don't know how to quantify um, unless you want to look at the cost of physical inactivity that uh, strains our healthcare systems, strains our global economic, um, strains us globally, you know, in an economic way. And, you know, if we can create such a fact, you know, around what physical inactivity costs and this huge opportunity cost, um, I'm sure it would be a huge number, guys. And the lens that which we see fitness and health, right? This is so important because any of our perspectives 
can hold us back or move us forward. Therefore, I'm starting this solo cast with an older definition of the core from one of the largest certifications of personal trainers in the USA. These myths have been shared and accepted as fact for years. Fact is all contextual, by the way. Fact can change day to day. Um, and contextual means it's applied, you know, in a very like contact in like a situation by situation way, which um, when we say like this is the best exercise and this is the best ab exercise and this is the most important muscle of the core, when we do that, we are not contextual. So, you know, the, the myths, right, they've um, been going on for years. And before going further into this, I'd like to present this idea, this framework of what is helpful, what is a helpful narrative, um, and what, the, what a helpful narrative can be. And that is one of substance and sustenance. Outside of the Think Fit Be Fit network, substance and sustenance are missing from most of these conversations about exercise and fitness. Substance is a physical matter. We can touch it or smell it, um, measure it. If substance is to be discussed, when we are talking about exercise, then we are using physics, gravity, or mechanics to support our positions or our ideas or our questions. Sustenance, on the other hand, is something that provides nourishment and support. Sustenance within the exercise scope requires perspective and an open mind, which is a rarity in the cash-hungry fitness industry where it is more common to deny clients and audiences such things. So the first core myth, training, core training myth that we're going to get we're going to do is uh, we're going to work with this old definition from the NASM National Academy of Sports Medicine. Um, their definition of the core, which has become a training myth, which is their definition where it is, this was from, it was updated after 2015. I want to keep um, stay accountable to that. They did change it, but that definition is quote core is where the body's center of gravity is located and where all movement originates, end quote. So currently, there's so many things wrong with that statement. It is a very short sentence with a lot of mistakes. I will just say that. The current definition is much more broad and think of it as like geographic. And that is all muscles that attach or cross the the joints to and from the lumbo, lumbar, pelvic region, thorax, and cervical spine. Um, that's an okay, like general, generic definition and something I'm not going to, you know, be upset about. But the first one where the body's center of gravity is located and where all movement originates is not a good definition. And in fact, it is outright wrong. <laughs> so what... The current definition, like I said, is fine. And um, it's only okay because they acknowledge an accurate like region of the body, what the core can be, but they omit the real function of the core, which is all about forces. And this is where substance comes in, right? The physical matter. 
the lack of acknowledgement of forces is the real problem here. And it's the real problem in most exercise science textbooks. It's a real problem. And this incorrect definition of what the center of gravity is, is another huge problem. And that's because that is the just downright incorrect definition of where the body's center of gravity is. It's incorrect because the center of gravity of our body changes. And it's different person to person based on our structure at any given moment during any given activity. So literally I could give you thousands of examples of how this plays out. Um, and as you can tell, I'm a little upset about it. And you might hear me get a little bit more upset <laughs> when I share with you some of their other definitions from their textbook on uh, how to be a, a NASM exam, like a personal trainer. Okay. So it's actually in chapter nine of their textbook. And the two definitions that I really want to make that makes me want to scratch my eyeballs is one, the draw in maneuver and something called bracing. So the draw in maneuver, they define as the ability to draw the belly button towards your spine in an attempt to create a stable core. Uh, Nikki and I spoke about this in our last episode, episode 135, 136 or something. It's in the show notes. I'm also going to touch on this in a few minutes and how wrong that is because it is a big training myth. And the NASM right here is kind of responsible for a big part of that. And the second definition that makes me want to scratch my eyeballs out is bracing which is contracting the muscles of the core to increase stability. And it says, think about that's the athletic position on our, you know, other show fitness for consumption. They have discussed what a problem this is directly multiple times. So I'm going to link some more shows in the show notes because we have such a broad, awesome catalog here. <laughs> Now we're moving on to the second one. So our second one, the six-pack, what is it? And it's not just aesthetic. So I think the myth is that the six-pack is some elusive, just like aesthetic thing. And it's not. It's a lot of dense tissue with significant influence. Uh, and under, you know, that, what is seen through the skin is just all these overlapping fibers, and so what a six-pack actually might be is some hypertrophy or muscle growth. And, you know, we see like the tendons, right? And so the core muscles um, have what I would call interrupting tendon fibers and interdigitating fibers with other muscles. So it's what we're looking at is much more than a six pack of muscles. We're looking at overlapping tendons and fibers and uh, muscles and tendons that are really good at creating tension and compression. While I do like the conversations about forces, right? That's our substance. That's not what this is about. It's really about um, smelling the BS, when there's someone on Instagram and YouTube or in the gym saying, 
train this way for a six pack. I saw one yesterday. It was a 45 second long reel. And she said, do these exercises three times a week to get a six pack. Well, I, I just don't, that, it's not possible. It's not, it's just not the way it works. And the sooner that we own that, the safer and more effective our exercise can be, and the better our instincts will be to deciding what's good for us. Okay, so the next ones, three, four, and five, all have a similar vibe, guys. So, uh, and that is like muscles, like ab core exercises, abdominal exercises, and other muscles. No one thing is better than the other. Everything has context when we're talking about something all-encompassing and overlapping as the core. There are just so many different segments that the core attaches to and works with, meaning like the muscles pulling on the bones and the tendons creating force transmissions around the, the joints and through, I don't, so there's just so many different aspects to exercise mechanics that the mainstream fitness culture and media do not account, like a talk about, appreciate, or even are probably even aware of. So no one single ab exercise is more, is superior than any other. And there are so many reasons for that I can use to back that statement up, but I want to just share one of those. And that is, we really can't be sure how to describe, prescribe, or teach an ab exercise or a core exercise if we don't understand someone's movement and how they move. So what I mean is without an assessment, it's impossible to say this exercise is better than the other. And so that is because so we have different structures and the amount of movement an individual has around a joint, for example, spinal flexion and extension, which is curling and extending your body or your trunk, is entirely based on an individual structure. And all of those are very bio-individual. Like they're just, it's just person to person how much each person has. So I'm all about people exercising and having people enjoy exercise, but I'm not going to do that by telling someone this is the best exercise. What I will do is say that showing someone how to assess their own motion and teaching people like you through this podcast, through courses, that assessing your own motion is the way to get the right exercise for the right time at the, you know, during your training cycle, right? So I'm not saying we all need a trainer. I'm saying that if we are going to be serious about strengthening our back and our midsection and our core, we need to understand our own motion. And this is entirely possible to learn 
And I'm really proud to say that I have been able to teach this to people over and over again throughout courses and throughout sessions in my office. So moving on to the next myth that it, like I said, number three, four, and five are very similar is that no one muscle is better than the other. The only question to that is potentially the diaphragm. However, when I started writing this out, I said, wow, I could sit down with some of my colleagues and have an argument for every muscle and why it could be put on a pedestal. I could have that conversation and it would be a very long one <laughs> about, it would be uh, like, you know, playing chess for hours. Like that's what it would feel like in a way. Um, and I would enjoy that. But by the way, the only idea that really matters for this one is that when you hear that this exercise hits the most important muscle, uh, then just say, well, isn't there an argument for every muscle to do this? Isn't there a mechanical influence and uh, an importance for each and every muscle in the body? And, you know, again, if you can wrap your head around that and, you know, bring it to your attention when you hear someone saying, like, this muscle is the best and we have to exercise it every single day, you can use the framework that I discuss, sustenance and substance, okay? Did they discuss a physical matter of this exercise that makes sense? Does it create a question that we can answer with substance of why this might be the quote-unquote best exercise? Uh, and then the perspective, what's the substance? What is the nurturing component of this? And that is the perspective, and the perspective really is like, I have an argument. We, we could have an argument for every muscle being on its own pedestal and it could be the best in one situation, one contextual scenario. Every muscle, like every member of a team has a role, has a position and all of the mechanics of it, like tension capabilities, attachments, moment arms, all matter. So it all matters. And no one muscle is better than the other. And I do have more anecdotes and perspectives on this very myth. Because I have very real hands-on experience with people uh, resolving back pain and hip pain that have been told that their problems are related to core weakness. I can say that there is no one muscle more important than the other for resolving the back pain in several of the cases that I've worked with, uh, you know, several people. And so I think that's really important because uh, so many of the people um, listening may have been in that situation have been told that their glutes not firing or they need to strengthen the transverse abdominis deep muscles of their core. And if they don't, they're going to have problems. Um, 
you know, it's pretty much impossible to try and isolate these muscles. And then by being told this, people start putting a premium on strengthening these muscles that it might not even be possible um, to isolate them. So that's another version, I guess, of this is the best muscle. This muscle has to be strengthened. So, um, yeah, I'm really glad I thought of that <laughs> and uh, didn't leave it out of this episode. I will be talking to the creator of this incredible system called the Core Restore Training System on the podcast in a few weeks. And I will bring this up because this machine, the system, has uh, a very unique resistance profile that allows and placement that allows me, a practitioner with this system, to work on 360 degrees of motion in one session to help people, you know, find their movement inefficiencies and raise the tolerance of their muscle system and learn how to, you know, segmentally control their body, including the core, including the trunk. So, and the spine, so they are all not one thing. <laughs> so, like, I'm going to leave it at that. The There is no one muscle better than the other when it comes to the full body or the core muscles. This next myth is does actually apply to other parts of the body and other myths, which is that Compression is a bad thing when it comes to doing our core exercises. I think because compression is used to describe some injuries that we automatically have to avoid it in our exercise, not true. Uh, like all other joints, compression is not a bad thing. And when we talk about it at the spine, compression has a really dirty, notorious reputation <laughs> that compression is bad on the spine. Well, without compression, your spine wouldn't really be upright, okay? So any force can become deleterious, including compression. Yes, and that's true, but this depends on the quality of the tissue, meaning the disc, the tendon, the ligament, the muscle, and the rate of acceleration, the rate of deceleration that are happening around the joint. So compression by itself is not bad. Just like I've said an, a few other times on this podcast about like knees, for example. Um, I get pretty, as you can tell, this is, easy. This is important to me. <laughs> that we understand that compression, like all other forces are the forces of nature and the forces of nature are not bad things, but they're just things to be understood so that we can work with our exercise on a deeper level. So yes, this one is very important to me. And my, in, the information that I would like to back up this, this, passionate claim with is that length and tension changes in the core and spine muscles happen often. So they can't be all bad. So because the spine doesn't really want to lengthen, because if you lengthened your spine, you would be in trouble on a mechanical level, you would be in trouble. And that has nothing to do with yoga. Okay. So speaking from a very mechanical view, 
lengthening the spine is bad because that will break something, okay? The compression from the different muscles, like psoas, rectus abdominis, the back muscles, the spinal rectors, paraspinals, are so important for managing the length, tension, and compression relationships of holding us upright and keeping pressure and, and the spine together. And then on top of that, when we look at what that definition of core strength is, it's the transmission of all these forces through these areas and, and the joints that creates the motion and the quality of your tissue, meaning the muscles, the discs, the ligaments, the tendons, and the rate of how fast we're moving and decelerating or what's coming at us, like a tennis ball, right? Like, or any, any kind of, you know, external force. Those are the things that really add up. And if we can't respond to that, yes, then we could have a compressive force that could be bad. But by itself, compression is not bad. And in fact, it is a necessary component of holding our trunk upright like a tree. Okay, on to our last one, which is drawing in the belly button. This is something Nikki, Nab, Levy, and I talked about. Um, you know, people will say, okay, suck in your belly button, draw it in, create, you know, some kind of tightness around your spine. And this is simply off. This is simply wrong. We did discuss it in that episode. I'm going to link it in the show notes so that you can listen with excitement as I cover this again. And what is important for um, working with the muscles around the abs is like a skillful application of holding isometric tension which is different than sucking it in like a vacuum, okay? And it doesn't make any sense uh, if I describe our core muscles and our spine and our ribs and our thorax as a column or like a tree trunk. If you want more stability in a column, like in a building or in a with a tree, if you're looking at how... I don't know, strong a tree is or how, um, whatever. And if you're looking at those two things, smaller and tighter in the middle doesn't make any sense. In fact, it will make the whole structure less stable. So that's what I'm getting at. It just doesn't work this way. Stabilization doesn't work this way. And so people that are selling uh, exercise Ses uh, methods and sessions around this idea that we have to suck in our core are just flat out wrong about what stability what what that's providing because it's not stability. Um, and Nikki goes into why that's why that is so, and we talked about some real life applications of that. So. Those are my six core myths that I had to share with you all. And <laughs> I, you know, if you want to learn more, um, 
please follow me on Instagram because this is something I talk about within that space. And when I'm uh, launching the, my signature course, which is Be Your Own Exercise Guru, which, um, you know, I talk about there. The, and I give you the chance to open your mind to these myths, like what we're doing now, and explore what exercise mechanics actually can offer you as far as like working with your own exercise and your own movement and your own body, right? Other than that, I am focused this last several episodes on myth busting because we have a lot of mind opening to do. We have a lot of learning to do. So I feel that if I do not constantly come back to these myths and update you guys on how I'm applying information on exercise mechanics, exercise physiology, the latest papers. And it's, I just want to say like, it's just a big process of integrating and learning and having an open mind. The other thing I should say, if you are interested as an exercise professional, you know, you're a trainer for a living and you want to advance your career and you like this type of thinking, I'd, I would definitely suggest be a avid listener of Fitness for Consumption. You can also go to exerciseprofessional.com where I've learned a ton from, um, which is Tom Purvis's purchased videos so um he's definitely been an influence in the like this kind of thinking but so has fitness for consumption and so has like my years of working as a muscle activation techniques practitioner and you know different um i'm working in different sports as a strength and conditioning coach and all that stuff and you know rehab professional clinician type <laughs> throughout that career I just blabbed out and you know that we're talking about like a 12 year career at this point as as an independent business owner as an independent practitioner working in all types of sports and working with all types of injuries and neurological issues or neuromuscular issues with clients that it you know it all comes down to our perspective on how we heal and how we move and how we exercise because even with the tools and the help that some of my clients have had they've also had trouble with understanding the importance of exercise built for their body so that's another huge reason I'm going to you know always come back to what what the perspective is, what the substance is behind my perspective. Um, one thing I heard on Joe Rogan recently, gosh, I can't even remember which episode this was, but he says like, you can't eat all processed food <laughs> and you can't eat all processed information. And the processed information, like processed food is like boiled down. It's uh, filled with nonsense and it, it has a purpose like monetization. And I said, oh, wow, that's why I think Fit Be Fit podcast exists because of processed information in the fitness industry. Um, you know, it's cheap and it sells and it has a long shelf life like many of these myths 
<laughs> so I think that's a great place to end, a great perspective to sit with that we can feed our brains rich and nutritious information. Wow, I just went rich really hard there, calling in <laughs> um, the soundbite police, okay? Call, call them over. Um, anyways, just a reminder that Think Fit, Be Fit is a network, and we have three shows on one magical channel, and... <laughs> That is um, this show, Think Fit, Be Fit. And this is my intellectual and, um, playground, if you will. Like I get to explore so many concepts and look at why the thought process needs to change and how we can apply it to our own exercise. We also have Fitness for Consumption. They are about to start their third season on the Think Fit, Be Fit feed. And you can expect more on how we move and why we move and what it really means to to apply exercise to functional outcomes and that has nothing to do with the mainstream uh, buzzword of quote functional training so I highly recommend that you go back to one of their first episodes the f word and I actually put it in the show notes because I think it would be a great way to warm up your brain for their next season we also are going to be hosting lives uh, once a week if Instagram and um, can cooperate, which it has. <laughs> uh, and then we have our new show, uh, Peach Pit Fitness, that includes a brand new co-host. She and I are so excited about creating a new commentary on fitness trends, buzzwords, and having some fun with some throwbacks to the classics of the 90s, you know, as far as fitness is concerned. So our first episode, which is just an introduction, aired the week of September 13th, 2021. Next week, September 27th, 2021 is the first critique episode where we take on an exercise called the frog pump made very popular by a practitioner named Brett Contreras, AKA the glute guy. So we have a great, yeah, great content. I can't wait for you guys to hear it live on the airs on the think fit, be fit podcast network. So head on over to thinkfitbefitpodcast.com to sign up for the newsletter. We're also on Instagram, of course, thinkfitbefit underscore podcast. And I'm on Instagram at jennifer underscore simone underscore schwartz. Thank you guys so much for being here. I totally value you and I'm so proud to uh, create this content for you guys. Make sure you give us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us. I would be the best compliment of any sort. And I can't wait to read it. Have a amazing week. <laughs>